0: They're here, everyone. They are the smart kids at the shops with their mothers or fathers, riding their bikes around the streets and playing down by the river, as well as talking to their friends on their smartphones. Join the smart kids each week as they discover, explore, and solve the mysteries of today. Here's your host, JT Crowley. Hello, once again. I thought I would do something different today just to keep things fresh. I thought it was time that you actually got to meet me in person. See who's behind the voice that you've all been listening to over the past few weeks. The face of the author that has written all the short stories of the Smart book. So I've done a short video introducing myself and I'll probably do more videos as the weeks go by, showing you places of interest from where I come from. Watch the video, have a look. The video was actually shot at the Quad in Derby, the place where I learned to write the stories, create the stories with my editor, Alex Davis. And as you watch the video, you might be thinking, what's he actually doing? Well, I'll tell you, I was having my coffee but I was actually, when I'm looking down, I'm actually buttering a cake. And uh, here in the UK, we have scones and they are little cakes. But this one was actually a fruit scone. And when you slice it, you can put butter into it and they're absolutely delicious. That's what I was doing. I was buttering my scone. And at the same time, talking to you guys on the video. Have a watch, see what you think, guys. As I said last time and on the video, I'm taking you to Kenya. This week, and it's here on the plains of the Mara we meet Naiku, along with know-it-all, Chiki Olikina, and his sister, Lankanua. The Mara, if you ever get the chance to go, is a, how shall I say it, a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. To see the natural world unfold in front of your very eyes, it's raw, it's exhilarating, it's dangerous. But the best time to go is when the migrating herds of wildebeest, zebra, antelope, wild dogs are all meandering zigzagging their way across the vast open grasslands that have just been invigorated with a new leash of life following the recent rains. When you go on a safari, I say, kids, don't expect to see all the wildlife there in front of you. You have to go out and look for it, especially the big cats like the cheetahs, for, Most of the time, they lie low, hidden in the grass. When you watch the wildlife programs, it can take weeks to get the right shots of the wildlife. To be a wildlife cameraman, you need an awful lot of patience, and you also have to be ready at any moment's notice to catch the thrills and spills of the chase of life. On the grasslands of the Mara. The big cats normally hunt at night as it's cooler and the advantage swings in their favour as the night skies generally provides them with the cover they need to sneak up on their prey. It's quite spooky at night time and it's quite spine chilling in a way to hear The night sounds of the Masai Mara as you lie on your camp bed in your tent. The roar of the local pride of lions resounding, echoing across the plains, talking to each other, as well as letting other prides know of their presence and saying that this patch of land is their territory. Enter at your peril, so to speak. You can hear the elephants Calling out to each other as some of kind of a kind of reassurance to each other that you know we are here. Where are you? And then we are safe. And then you can also hear the other warnings from different um, animals, alarm calls, all giving off the signals to say you know the big cats are prowling here. Be aware, watch out. So, life on the plains, or action if you want to call it, is likely to take place at night. But that is when the plains, as I said, are at their most dangerous. During the day, early morning is a good time to see the wallah. Mid-afternoon, not so much, because the heat of the day has started to soar And generally, you find most of the animals resting and they are hidden from view. But that is the best time for the poachers to snare their ill-gotten gains. Life on the Masai Mara, like many of Africa's great nature reserves, is simply enthralling to not only watch, but to experience as well. So, kids. As I say every week, would you like to hear a short clip of the story? You do? Well, you're going to get a short clip of the story anyway. So, find that comfy chair, sit back and listen as I whisk you off to Kenya, the land of the Maasai people. Sit back, kids. Oh. And as usual, I have a couple of questions for you at the end of the podcast, just to make sure that you're listening and reading. Here goes. Na'iko, my girl. The black saturated storm clouds that had gathered over the plains of the Masai Mara National Park for the last few hours were about to burst. A dazzling electrical storm would ensue lighting up the African skies like a firework display. The deluge of rain that would come tumbling out of the sky would quickly turn the dried out plains to a muddy quagmire. Riverbeds that had been dry for months would become raging torrents of cascading water. With the fresh rains invigorating the plains, the parched lands would be transformed into a vast green carpet of vegetation. The scent of the new grasses that were carried on the wind would be picked up by the migrating herds of wildebeest, zebra and antelope, already making their way north through the great Serengeti plains. This migration of hundreds of thousands of animals that followed the scents of fresh grasses was one of the world's greatest spectacles, as witnessed by overhead satellite images that were beamed into our homes via the TV, smartphones, YouTube, and many other social media outlets. The sight of the migrating herds entering their territories was good news to the resident predators, signaling the hard times of famine were over and a period of feasting was about to begin as a glut of food came their way. Lions, cheetahs, hyenas and wild dogs often timed the birth of their cubs or pups to coincide with this time of plenty, thus giving their young a fighting chance in life. But the poachers, with their cunning and devious ways, would be there too. Naiku sat on the veranda that ran across the back of her house. She was grumbling to herself as the house Wi-Fi was playing up. The website she was looking at were either taking forever to download or simply freezing with the buffering symbol going round and round in the middle of the screen. She was getting annoyed and started to lose patience with her laptop. Tomorrow was going to be an important day for her. She was going to meet her grandfather for the first time and she wanted to show him that she had some knowledge of her heritage. Her grandfather was the chief village elder of a small Maasai community, living a simple life in a small kraal close to one of the seven main crossing points that the African migrating herds used to cross the Matimara River. She wanted to know more about the Maasai people and their customs, so she could impress the man she had seen only in the photos. Her father talked very little about his father. They had fallen out some time ago about his decision to give up the pastoral, semi-nomadic ways of the traditional Maasai people, opting for a career in medicine and a more comfortable modern way of life wealthy suburbs of Nairobi, the capital of Kenya, where she had been brought up, would be a far cry from a dusty kraal of mud huts close to the Kenyan-Tanzanian border in the Masai Mara Reserve. But she couldn't wait to go. Her father was understandably a little anxious as he was going to see his father for the first time in 20 years. The 4x4 jeep, driven by her father, pulled off the dirt track that led to the crowd. Naiku stepped out, wearing her latest designer clothes and trainers. Her father had warned her not to expect any luxury, no great accommodation, no luxury accommodation, with the latest internet connections. The traditional Bomba house that her grandfather lived in was a simple affair of timber poles fixed directly into the ground, and interwoven with a lattice of branches that were covered with a mix of cow dung, mud, and human urine. It was late morning when Naiku and her father finally got to meet her grandfather, as he went out talking with other village elders about the spate of cattle rustling and recent lion and cheetah attacks on his livestock. She was slightly nervous as he approached. He was a tall, elegant man, dressed in the traditional Maasai red shuka, with cowhide sandals on his feet. In Maasai terms, he was wealthy, as he had over a hundred cattle and numerous children. But, compared to her own father, he was an uneducated poor man. Nevertheless, she had chosen to spend the next few weeks getting to know this man and his ways. Her father and grandfather exchanged polite conversation, but it was clear for all to see that a tension existed between them, and her father's choice to leave by early evening was his choice with her father gone. Naiko set about getting to know her new family the following morning. Her grandfather sat her down under a tree, the very spot where he had sat with other children. He had grown up listening to his teacher. School, in his day, was a few rickety desks and chairs set out under a big ash tree, providing some shade from the overhead sun. His education was limited. Nowadays, the school boss picks the village children up from the end of the dirt track, taking them to the nearby government centre. From there, the children progress to the universities in Nairobi. Her grandfather suggested that she changed out her expensive clothes and put on suitable Maasai attire as they'd be walking together all day out on the plains to see the wildlife. Sitting to her right, propped against the bough of the big ash tree, he asked, Why have you come? To find out more of my culture and to see for myself the destruction mankind is bringing on the natural habitat and the wildlife. Is the plight of some of our endangered species as bad as portrayed by the TV images shown on our screens, Grandfather? Olakina and his sister, Lankanuna, were twins. They lived in the last bomber in the kraal near the Anka, the outer fence. Olakina was curious. He was curious because he wanted to know why his grandfather was taking so much interest in this new person. For a 10 year old, his curiosity often got the better of him, invariably getting him into trouble with his patriarchs. He and his grandfather often had to have words over his annoying antics and general boyish behavior. I think the best way for us to talk about what you want to know is to take a walk out onto the plains. Will we be safe, Grandfather? As long as you follow my instructions, we'll be safe. It's dangerous out there. You need to respect nature's ways. Watch and listen for the warning signs, but most importantly, stick by my side. Olakina, who had Conveniently placed himself within eavesdropping distance, pretending to be busy, doing nothing, scurried off to find his sister. Olekina? Yes, Gramps? Grandfather to you, cheeky monkey? I suppose you ever heard that I'm taking Naiko out into the bush? No, grandfather. Hmm. One of these days, young man, your tongue and sharp wit will get you into serious trouble. Pack a rucksack, fetch your sister, and be at the Ancon Gate in 20 minutes. I didn't see Olakina sneak up on us. Hmm, you wouldn't. He's good at that. We don't call him the village gossip for nothing. If you want to spread a rumour, tell Olakina. He will have it round the village and the surrounding hills within minutes. Sometimes he has his uses. Oh! Oh, you know, if I want to know what's going on around here and the outlying villagers, there's no point asking the other elders or the village. They won't know. I ask olakina And if he doesn't know, he'll sure find out and get back to me. You see, Naiko, I don't need that internet and smartphone stuff. I have olakina I know I say this each week and some of you are starting to get used to me by now, but I hope you enjoyed that short teaser. If you did, and you want to read and find out more about Naiku and all the other characters, then get the book on Amazon or download the Kindle version. If you want to know why I wrote the story and how it came about, then stay listening for a few more minutes, kids. I promise you, it's only a few more minutes. So, why did I write the story? Well, as you know, most of my stories have an underlying issue that I want to talk to you all about. And in this story, I wanted to highlight the poaching issue of the cheetah cubs. I also wanted to take kids like ourselves to the Maasai Mara. Talk about the Maasai people, their origins, and their old and new ways of life. So I created Naiku, pronounced Na-I-Ku. And just to give the story a lighter side to it, I threw in the cheeky, know-it-all character, Ola Ke'ino, and his sister, Lankanuna. How did the story come about? Well, it really came about when I went on a safari several years ago. Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing to see the wildlife in their natural habitat, not in a zoo or on the TV. And I, I, I recall visiting a Maasai village, and um, learning a little about their ways and, How tall they were. I also remember one of the village elders talking about the only school lessons he got was sitting under the shade of a tree that was in the middle of the village. Nowadays, the village kids get the school bus at the top of the road or even walk to the nearby school. And of course, we touched on the issue of cheetah cub poaching, which is mainly driven by poverty and hardship. And when you have a family to feed and the crops have failed due to the drought with climate change, then you can start to understand that people will resort to desperate measures like poaching, especially when rich overseas clients are prepared to pay a king's ransom for such a high ranking status symbol as a magnificent cheetah. So that's how the story really came about. Question tap. Where precisely is the Maasai Mara? Second question. Where did the Maasai people originally come from? And finally, in the book i tell you what is the name given to a Maasai village. What is a Maasai village called? Kids, go on the internet, go Google Earth, have a look at the Masai Mara, the Serengeti Plains. See where the Maasai people came from. Have a look at Nairobi, go on Wikipedia and get a brief background to all the places that you could goes to. Have fun in Kenya, kids. Now, by now, you should have seven stickers on your world map. The eighth sticker will be in Russia where we meet Dushka, my Russian ballerina girl. She's a right little diva. As I say, I have a mixture of characters, guys. Some of my characters are boys, some are girls. I've mixed them up so that there's something for everybody to read, learn about and simply experience life from around the world. Well, I'm now off to shoot the video. And when I look out the window here, it's pouring down with rain. So let's see what the video is going to bring. Whether well, I'm going to be sitting outside or inside. And for those of you who are smart enough, you'll have worked out that the sun actually came out and the video was shot outside. But I'm just going to say to you is, I hope you are enjoying my stories and you're starting to go around the world with me. That's what I want. I want you to have fun. I want you to go and explore the world. I want you to go and see places, places I've been and some of the places I haven't been. And I hope that one day you guys will actually go and see those places. But for now, yeah, I'm only left to say, which I say every week, This is J.T. Crowley signing off. So wherever you are listening in the world, stay safe, but have fun, just like my characters. See you in Russia next week. Thanks for listening to The Smart Kids. Want to follow more of their adventures? Check out The Smart Kids by J.T. Crowley on Amazon.com now.